In this episode of Make More Art, I had a chat with Susan Hensel, who is a multidisciplinary artist with over 50 years of experience that spans sculpture, painting, and textile embroidery and digital and manual platforms. She is a curator and an artist who runs her own gallery, giving her audience and art enthusiasts alike an immersive and full-scale experience sprinkled with art practice wisdom. In this episode, we dive into the different facets of art that will open your eyes, giving you an overview of the endless possibilities art can offer. Susan talks about how Donald Duck shifted her artistic path, why color is an integral part of art, and how to use techniques and strategies to express your ideas, why digital art is a medium any artist should explore, how to get started with textile embroidery, a glimpse on how to run a gallery, and creating value-added products through art. If you want to be part of the conversation, then send in your questions and topics you want us to cover to hello at etrolab.com. Wow, 300 exhibitions. Yeah. That is, that is a lot. That is a lot. So, it is a lot. Yeah, <laughs> when I decided it was time to do it, boy, it was time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll probably start up, Susan, um, by you sharing with us your journey of how you started. I, I'm curious to know, I mean, you have, and not to disclose your age or whatnot, but I know you have this X number of years of experience in making art. And I'm I'm also fascinated to learn about your background, given that you graduated, um, is it, correct me if I'm wrong, um, in painting and sculpture with major in ceramics, is that right? Um, I had two majors, painting was one, sculpture was the other, and I had a minor that was almost a major in ceramics. Wow. I love I was like maybe one course, yeah. you know, short yeah. of another uh-huh. major. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So take us through. I, I'm sure there is still a lot to be shared yeah. about your journey, Susan, and I'm all ears and so are listeners. Okay. Okay. Well, I was, I mean, I'll, I'll go way back, way, 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 way back. Um, I was born in 1950 in the Finger Lakes region of New York State. I was born into a college town to a professor and a teacher um, who believed strongly in the importance of culture. So my father was a musician and a, a very talented musician and an engineer. Mm-hmm. And my mother was a public school teacher with a particular interest in science so that's kind of my background and um, because of of that particular family you know we went to museums when we traveled there wasn't a lot in Ithaca but we went Mm -hmm. you know and we always went to music performances and to theater performances which were fairly rich in that little town and um, because my father was a professor, we had sabbaticals. And my our first sabbatical was California. That's where I went to kindergarten. And then our third sabbatical, which was an away sabbatical, was to Taiwan. And that was very influential for me. I spent a school year in Taiwan as my dad taught in Xinchu, Taiwan. And my siblings went to school in Taipei, the capital city for my sister, and Daichung for my brother, who is the middle child. And having that in my background, um, visually, was so important to me. 
and also to have that global perspective at a young age like that. So by the time I was 13, not only had I seen most of the geography of the United States, which is a vast geography, I had also been to Asia and then eventually with a quick trip back home through Asia and Europe, hitting the capitals. So I had seen history in real life. I had seen the cultural production of many cultures, much, much older than my own. And I found that a profound um, influence. And on top of that, I was the kid who in any museum was two or three galleries behind my, my family. Okay. So they would always have to come find me because mm -hmm. I would be mesmerized somewhere by something. So my desire to look and to look deeply is a key thing. And during all of this, I was drawing all the time. And I would resist going to play outside because I would rather play with my stuff and make marks on things. Um, so I, I was, you know, not the best hiker because I wanted to stand under a tree and look at the bugs, you know. <laughs> but... But all of that came together. And by the time I was 14 or 15, I think I made my first sale off of a clothesline in an art fair in the town square where we hung things on clotheslines with clothespins. Then mm -hmm. I sold a little um, drawing to a Cornell student for probably 10 bucks. I don't know, something like that. And And it wasn't the money. Um, that affected me it was that somebody liked it enough mm. that they wanted to take it home and there were other people who liked what they were looking at and that was important to me now when I was 14 it was all about technique it was all about making that figure look like a real person okay. but as I developed as an artist and went to college for painting and sculpture and ceramics. Um, figuration, while it's a lot of fun and I still do it, became less important. Form became more important and shape became more important. And then within the last few years, like maybe last eight years, all of a sudden color overtook me. Because I never thought of myself as a colorist. And if you're watching this on YouTube, there's a riot of color behind my head. Indeed. Definitely. Yeah. And so this is all textiles and it's all developed in the computer, you know, through programming and then output on an embroidery machine. And those are the things that you know, are used to put monograms on things, to mm -hmm. do baseball caps. That's what they're really developed for. They're for um, accessories and clothing. But I was introduced to this by going to the state fair here in Minnesota, which is a huge 10-day event. Yeah, it's not just a weekend, you know, and, and it's an event that um, there's always uh, in the legislature discussion of when will school start in the fall, not until after the, not until after the state fair. Mm. So that, that, that's always kind of a big thing. And one year I went and I, 
to back up slightly, I am a I am a transplant here. I've only been here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, about 20 years. And so part of becoming local, I felt, was going to the state fair. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was the headlines in the paper, and I couldn't understand why every day there was a big newspaper article about the state fair until I went, and then I understood. And so one year I went to the building where they try to sell the new things that manufacturers have come out with. They call it the demonstration building. So it might be knives, it might be vacuum food savers, things like that. Um, They tend to be kind of niche items. But I rounded a corner and there was a sewing machine that looked like a home sewing machine. Mm -hmm. They had a hoop on it though, stitching out a Donald Duck who with nobody attending to the machine and I didn't care about Donald Duck I didn't care that it was automatic but what absolutely stopped me in my tracks was the color Donald Duck's shirt his midi shirt was the bluest blue I've ever seen in my life Hmm. and at that moment I knew that number one I was in trouble and number two that I was taking a major uh, left turn in my art practice. I would do anything to possess this technology. I knew nothing about it, nothing. Mm-hmm. But I'm not scared of technology. So I worked hard to get grants and loans to get this started. Mm-hmm. And um, the first grant I got was for the software to learn to make my own designs. Okay. Um, there are wonderful designers out there and, you know, crappy ones too. Uh, working in this field, providing designs for um, garment hobbyists um, and also business people who just want everything personalized for the people who work for them. Mm -hmm. And I had no interest in that, but but there's beautiful stuff out there. And so I worked hard to learn how to use this software, which confused me for the longest time, but I finally managed it now it's second nature. It's drawing with stitches. That's all it is. It's just drawing. So all of this that you see behind me, I have drawn in my computer. And it's kind of like using Photoshop, kind of like using Illustrator. Um, It's kind of a cross, but Mm -hmm. I use a tablet and I just draw. So as an artist, it was very direct once I understood how what kind of structures were necessary for mm-hmm. things to work and you work in layers which is wonderful for color oh my goodness that's wonderful and the reason that the color is so magnificent with this embroidery stuff and it's applicable to watercolor it's applicable to oil paint and to and to acrylics if you're working in a sheer manner in a dilute manner What's what's remarkable is that the thread is triangular, which makes the light um, flash off of it in different directions. Mm-hmm. And that means that a blue thread will give you a range of blues from one um, base color. So it sparkles. And so I work with it um, in very sheer ways. The stitches are not very close together. I do gradients, so it's like a wash. 
And then I could put another wash on top of a different color to get a modulation, a further modulation of the colors, which is just so much fun. And then some of them are folded, permanently folded, and that allows the colors to shift even more. So that's sort of the process. And sometimes, you know, I am trained as a sculptor, so I'll use wood, I'll use, I'm trained as a painter, I'll use paint, I'll use whatever I need mm -hmm. uh, to make the piece. And it's a, it really is a totally intuitive process um, because it's drawing. I mean, what's right. more intuitive than drawing? And and when the drawings, the stitch drawings are output on the on the machine, they don't always come out the way I think they're going to come out. Mm -hmm. And so rarely is the finished piece exactly as I imagined. And I think that's the beauty of it because it continues um, the problem solving, which is so much fun. You know, I'm not worried about things being perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I am delighted with the discovery. I think that's why I'm so passionate about what I do. I, mm -hmm. I keep discovering new things, right. new ways to look, new things to see, new mm -hmm. objects. And one thing leads to another. And here I am, um, 50 years later through many, many materials. And I blame that on being a sculptor fundamentally because we're all about materials yeah that is one thing that i picked from 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 the research that i did on you and susan thank you for taking us through your journey i mean listen you talked about and looking at you as you as you talk about the journey and all these processes that you're doing with this colors this new discovery it shows how much passion you have for art and ironically though um you started, you say sculptures, right, as your foundation because you work with materials. And for someone who's very used to working with materials, like physical, tangible materials, yeah. painting, you did ceramics, you did sculptures. How was that transition to digital? And I ask that because it's always a debate, right? Whether artists, they have different stand on this um, when it comes to digital art. But I want to hear it from from you on on the aspect of transition because you said when you saw that color that was like a hot you know like a light bulb moment for you that I need to learn how to do this I want to capture this technology and learn it by heart so can you can you take us through that the journey and that transition and was that like in a snap of a finger or was it like there is this push and pull of do you want to go digital no. yeah yeah I to me, digital is just a tool. Okay. Um, I've actually worked with computers in and out of my practice mm. um, most of my 50 years. Um, when I was 16, because I was a college town, um, and I was 16 in 1966, folks, and computers were around. The home computers weren't. And we were taught to do to do punch card work. Um and I was terrible at it. I never made a program that worked, but I was exposed to computers very young. So I never had um, that fear transition mm -hmm. that a lot of people have that they might break the computer. Oh my gosh, what if I do something wrong? I just knew the program would run and uh -huh. none of my programs ran. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that wasn't a problem for me. But what I did have and still have to deal with some is that um, this is a totally different medium than hand embroidery. I'm going to have to have a little drink here. I'm losing my voice. <laughs> Um, it is not meant to imitate hand mm. embroidery. And I do do hand embroidery. And occasionally there are little bits of hand sewing and hand embroidery on these things. So what I learned was it was a different way of creating swaths of color that it that that work differently in real life than other thread things do than weaving, than hand embroidery, or than oil paint or watercolor. But there are crossovers on all of these. Mm-hmm. There are similarities, um, but it was the color. And I don't know any other way to get the kind of um, in real time moving color that I mm-hmm. get with this. Mm-hmm. Um, with the folded pieces, especially, um, when you walk by them, in one direction of walking by, it'll look like a different color way than when you come back the other way, even though there's only two or three colors of thread in it, and they're the same on both sides yeah. of the fold. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know any other medium that does that. So, um, you know designing this in the computer no it wasn't a problem other than I'm terrible at illustrator and I still Mm -hmm. am working with vectors um I find very non-intuitive but as long as I can just draw I'm good you know and there's so much more to learn there's so many more ways to to make the color move that I haven't had time to investigate yet one of the other uh, misconceptions is that this takes away all the labor and that it's so yeah. fast. It's a yeah. thousand stitches per, per yeah. minute. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. It mm-hmm. still takes weeks to stitch these out. Wow. Um, some of the larger pieces can take two weeks to stitch out. Um, you cannot stitch most things out at a thousand stitches per minute, just saying, mm-hmm. uh, because you just break the threads. And um and for me, and it's it doesn't make sense to to do this by hand anyways, and it wouldn't look the same. Um, so it's just different. You know, it is just a different way of dealing with color and form. I mean, I can do on the computer things that look yeah, sort of like hand embroidery. Yeah. But I should just do hand embroidery at that point I don't see it as an imitation it's a it's across the street from hand embroidery or maybe next door yeah okay okay that's an interesting take on that Um, and maybe this isn't also an eye open opener for for a lot of people who perceive digital art as something like what you said doesn't you don't like instant um doesn't do a lot of labor and hearing you talk about the process, the intricacy of these stitches. And when I look at the, if you're watching this from YouTube and you look at Susan's background, you can see how intricate and detailed those artworks are. 
and also the combination of color, which I'm also interested because when you talked about it earlier, when you saw that at the state fair and how, yeah. you know, you were mesmerized by the, the blue color. Yeah. How, I, in one of your interviews, you, you talk about this, that, that blue, it starts with, you know, that idea. Because I want to I wanna ask this because when I look at those works behind you, Susan, the first question that I that I have in my mind is where do you draw that idea to layer all those stitches and to have those shapes, those intricate details mixed together and produce this beautiful yeah. art piece? I would imagine that you know it takes a you know like a lot of thinking as to how it will turn out. You mentioned this earlier as well that you know sometimes it will turn out differently as how you thought of it um, in the first place. But how do you come up with all of these ideas and come out with this intricate pieces with layers and layers of colors that are mixed together and still they look so coherently beautiful? Well, thank you. That's very complimentary. Um, you know, I also said earlier it was highly intuitive, and it really is. And there's a lot of play mm -hmm. in here <laughs> that allow me to do this. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things I do for myself every year is that I go out of town and I rent a cabin for two weeks oh. um, that has very little internet coverage, some, because I can't be totally without it, um, views of, a, of one of the big Great Lakes. And I play with a single needle machine, just a simple machine. And I and I go with maybe a kernel of an idea. And so all of this, I mean, it all started with Donald Duck, yes. Mm. But the next step was that one year when I went up to the cabin, I said to myself, I want to see what happens when I work with gradients. And so I started combining colors with gradients. And I was just doing little, little orange squares, you know. And I was working on felt at that. Yeah, you know, I still am a lot of the time because I like how the stitches bite into the felt. Mm -hmm. And so I was leaving space to see the color of the felt. So that introduced another color. And then I looked at one of those little four-inch things and I was playing with it, right? What's it, you know, over by the window, right? <laughs> Looking over at the lake. And I realized that as I bent it, the colors changed. And then I looked at it again and I said, well, what if I tried to make it into a box? And I knew as a seamstress, all I needed to do was sew little tiny seams and turn it inside out. And when I did that, um, it was hard to turn it inside out and it made a crunkly thing. That was so gorgeous. I said, I'm going to make a lot of these and make them all be crunkly looking. Mm -hmm. Now, I could have turned everything inside out. Yeah. But it looked so much better and was so interesting when they were little crunkly things. And that during that two weeks, I played with all these little four-inch squares and a few a little bit larger. But the machine I took with me, I could only work small. And mm -hmm. I played with these things for two weeks and I found so many ways to make three-dimensional forms. I could hardly stand it. So I came home and I've been working on that ever since. And that was probably 
six years ago. Okay. And I'm still playing. And when you make a piece, and, I, and I'm I'm serious when I say they never come out like I think they're gonna. Mm-hmm. They never do. But at, but there are there are things I'll see happening on the machine that I like. And so when you look right behind my head, YouTubers, at the serpentine blue stuff, yes, you can see that there are relationships all over the place. And it all started with a smaller um, design that I used for something else that I really liked. And so I figured out how to repeat it, how to upsize it, and how to deal with some unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. And and one thing leads to another. Mm. So I use and reuse the designs I make. Um, sometimes they stay in the same colorways. I can shift the colorways. I can add things to them. And sometimes, even while they're on the machine, stitching out, I'll just stop the machine because it's gotten to the point where I think it's best you know, where it's not overdone. Or sometimes it's underdone when it's finished and Mm -hmm. I'll leave it in the machine and I'll quick make another design that I need to place over a section Mm -hmm. and I can stitch it. I can take them out. I can cut them up. I can paint on them. I've been known to use, um, lately I use enamel, hobby enamel, because of the way it soaks in, it does a really interesting shadow work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use decorative pins. I use brass screen. I just, you know. And the forms you're seeing in here, um, like that wonderful arched form in the background, that yeah. is an antique pipe mold. Oh, wow. Or a sewer pipe or something. I'm not sure. I found it at um, at a tool sale, an antique tool sale, years ago, and I didn't. I just knew that I liked it. I didn't know what I would do with it, mm-hmm. and it was in my studio for probably six or seven years. I almost gave it to a friend for Christmas, who I knew coveted it, and all of a sudden, I knew what to do with it. Sometimes it takes a long time. <laughs> So, aside from being a sculptor and artist painter, um, you also work with ceramic. I love the idea that you are into um, your multimedia artist, like yeah, yeah. with materials. And um, when I was, I guess the the other question that I have, um, Suzanne, is that with over fifty years of you know making art, discovering new materials, new technology, right? What kept you going? I would imagine at some point, probably, you know, you, I don't know if you can correct me if I'm wrong, but at one point did you think, is this really something that I would like to do to keep making art? And, you know, this is my life's work or that was not, that was never a question for you. That was a question. Well, I had a slight question about whether it was my life's work mm-hmm. when I started college. And so I decided to go to a university okay. uh, rather than an art only school mm-hmm. um, so that I would have access to good academics. Yeah. 
And some of the schools that I visited, um, the academics that were open to me as an art student were only academics for art students. And I found that offensive. Mm -hmm. So I went to um, a good university, University of Michigan. Um, and, and it was like in the first week of art school, it was like, oh my goodness, I get to do this all day. Yeah. Oh, oh. And my desire to, and passion to learn is probably one of my overriding characteristics. Mm. And, and to the degree that I have any special talent, it has to do with um, approaching materials, a new material, and being able to see very quickly Mm -hmm. with a new tool or a new material, how it can be useful to me as an artist. What is its potential? Okay. So that is a key characteristic of me. Mm. <laughs> um, do I have mastery in all every single material in the way that somebody who has devoted 40 years to watercolor? No, but do I have a general mastery that is pretty extraordinary? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Because my mastery is in the combination of things. Mm -hmm. It's it's in recognizing the potential, um, massaging that material mm -hmm. in whatever way it takes to perform um, for me in, in the visual output. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, I mean, I love looking at this background. I mean, I love these pieces. They, they just, yeah, yeah, they make me stop in my tracks and take a deep breath. You know, because yeah. is this available for downloads from your website as a wallpaper, maybe? Because this this collections of your works are just oh, I could. That's a good idea, Jesse. I might do that. I, I am actually, you know, looking. I'm doing testing right now of. Um, giclés of a some of the sculptures actually make very nice giclés and wow. so i am trying to find um the printer that i like the best so i'm in the process of that and some of these um transferred to cloth really beautifully oh well, yeah with spoon flour and things like that so i'll in the next few weeks um we're working on it right now i will have a printify shop up oh nice so yeah. yeah, and so, um, yeah, I mean, there'll be towels, of course, and I have some in my kitchen. I really loved them. It was great working with my own images on them. Um, I'll have towels and tote bags and some framed um, canvases and one suitcase. To, who knew? You it's could get a print on a suitcase. <laughs> that was actually <laughs> never lose follow-up question Susan was like have you ever thought of you know having these uh works printed on basically anything because I can yeah. imagine as a purse uh a journal cover um bag and even like anything really yeah yeah well you know it's the you know that I work with the team because they yeah. they reached out to you and a year ago um they broached the subject of of doing some value-added kinds of products mm. and and I was definitely open to it and um 
this is kind of, you know, how do you work no matter what? This is actually kind of one of the answers to this question is I had a very serious hip injury about eight months ago, so which sorry. impacted um, the amount of time I could spend in the studio and yeah. also um, how well I could work, <laughs> partly because I had so many medical appointments. But what I could do is I could study some of the time and I could think about, you know, gicles and about working on tote bags and things like that. And so it it finally started coming together right around Christmas time this year because I've got a group of friends that I tend to make things for. And so I printed up um, on spoon flowers some fabric with one of my designs and made giant tote bags for them. I love so, that. You know, oh. and that was like, oh, you know, that print was really good. I should look at more things. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow, this is exciting. Uh, when yeah. is it out? Is it next month? Did you say? I think we should have it done within a month. I've just mm -hmm. finished. Um, I think I just finished the descriptions of the products. And then um, it's a little bit complicated to get it integrated with my website. So I'm relying on my website designers to do that. Okay. Um, and and I'm thinking it'll be about a month. So you'll, you'll hear because I will promote it. I'm good about social media and, and getting the word out. So, okay. yeah. yeah. Wow. Interesting stuff. And I'm really excited for you, um, Suzanne. You've shared a lot about, you know, art specifically and how it impacts your life and your thought process and how you transition from one material to another, how that light bulb moment shifted and brought you to this path of colors, of intricate creations um, using digital art. Susan, with over 300 exhibitions, awards, grants, and this, you know, 50 over years of experience, what would you say is your major takeaway about art that would you say kept you going um, yeah. in, in the sense of creating? Um, I asked that because I think in, in, in one of your, I'm not sure if I read it somewhere uh, on your bio or watched it or listened to any of your yeah. other um, interviews, is that it's the way that when people look at your works, it, it's it's very important to you. So can you expand a little bit more about that? Because I, I think if I remember it right, you want your artworks to provide awe, the feeling of awe, rest. Yes. And, yeah. yeah, and if it's the right artwork for you it does mm -hmm. you know the big the really big blue one behind me is the one that currently makes me stop in my tracks and, and go oh. um I have developed um I mean there are a lot of reasons people make art and mm -hmm. I make art for all the same reasons everybody else does I think it's fun it somehow feels good to my guts it heals me you know all those things um, but if you become as obsessed as I have been, I think all my life, um, then you're going to have too much stuff. You, you, you run out of relatives to give it to. Yeah. And so then you have to think in somewhat broader terms because you, otherwise you're just filling up your apartment, you're filling up your basement 
and and so there was that push but even back in college i had this concept that i wanted the artwork to affect how people experience their daily life and so i came out of college in um, the early 1970s when making art seemed like the silliest thing in the world to do but what if i made art what if i made pottery and and i and i was a potter for many years that allowed people to experience um community and meal times in a different way that made them slow down in in the way that you know the tea ceremonies were kind of set up to admire to, you write poetry you read poetry about it you you share the drink you know and you wipe the edge before you you know share the cup and all of that um that i wanted people to have some kind of trans transcendent or, or heading toward transcendent experience of their daily life and and that idea has stayed with me and it has expanded to say that an artwork isn't done until it's been shown. Now, it can be just as simple as showing it to your best friend, showing it to your husband, whatever. But until it's been shared, I don't think it really has a life. And I feel like artwork has work to do in the world. Yes. So whether somebody buys it or not, it can still get out there and have effects on people. And that's why I show. And it also ups the chances of selling, right? Yeah, of course. So, of well, that's course. Beautiful. That, that is beautiful, Susan. And I ask that because I know that you have the most, you know, genuine answer to that question. Um, and I, I love that it all, it all, it's all rooted with, with that desire to make when when someone look at your works it sort of make them feel you know their daily life it's the the reality of how people see life and i think that's important because sometimes you know when when people talk about art um it's confined in in a certain box of definition that it has to be something that's so technically beautiful and beautiful is is subjective right but People have different um, interpretation of what art should be, but I think what's constant there is it evokes a certain emotion and feeling as you see it. Yeah. And um, you know, Susan, with with what you're doing right now, you know, you're sharing more than just your works, but also your wisdom about art. And I know you've been doing this. Um, I've I've watched some of your interviews. Um, and read some of the articles that were written about you. If someone is listening or watching this episode right now, someone who's just starting out and probably might be, you know, thinking, I don't know what medium to start with. I don't know if I'm, I have the skills or talent to even start making art. What would you say to that person? Um, oh, golly, I've got a salad of things in my brain on that. <laughs> 
Um, I will say, in my humble opinion, everybody thinks they should start with watercolor. It's one of the, the most difficult media to master out there. Just because it looks simple doesn't mean it is. Um, I I really do kind of think people, it's a should with a question with little quotations around it. Start with something simple like drawing or or embroidery or whatever you have at hand. And and no matter how you do it, art is is important, but nobody's gonna die if you screw up. So I think it's fundamentally important to the human condition, to the human soul. Um, we've been marking things for millennia. You know, <laughs> you know, the first marks on a stick used to stir the coals, you know, to keep the fire going, you know. But we marked that stick. Yeah. Why? We don't know. But we humans have always done this. So whatever your marks are, make them. Um, take community ed classes, try things out, and hold it all so very lightly. Enjoy the process and enjoy the mistakes because they teach you. So if you have a little watercolor like this and it's really screwed up, you made mud, which is what I do a lot with watercolor, um, cut it up, rearrange it. Oh, see what happens. You know, maybe it's a maybe it's a, a source for a collage. Maybe you're going to get out a pencil and draw on top of it. Maybe you're going to get out a marker and draw on top of it. Maybe you're going to stitch on it. Um, you know, the fundamental creative question really is, what if? So what if I stitched it? Mm. What if I cut it up? What if I folded it in half and made it a book page? What if I spilled my coffee on it? Oh, my gosh. You know, <laughs> you know what if? You know, I mean, nobody's going to die. It's not rocket science even though it's humanly really important. And, and it's okay if you just want to make a, a painting of the best lighthouse you've ever seen. I think that's phenomenal. It's okay if you want to make a teddy bear. That is phenomenal. And it's okay that you're doing it just because you like it. That's great. That is a good aim right there. Because if we have to find pleasure um, in our lives, life is, is short and it's often hard. Mm -hmm. We know this, you know, it's confusing. So the things that we can do that help us find our ways in the world are worthwhile. And I know I use art that way. Um, I have a an advisor I see monthly. She's a good friend, and uh, she is also an artist, and she's my mentor. And and she looked at me a month or two ago and said, "You know, I think you make art so you can figure out what you're thinking." Yeah, I think she's right. And um, because I am not most of the time with the pieces that really work, 
in a, in a funny way, I'm not intellectually present when I'm making them. I mm -hmm. might have music going on that allows me to get my ego out of the way. Yeah. And, and then things happen that I don't anticipate. And all artists do have things in their inventory that they look at and go, golly, I actually don't remember the process of that. I mean, did I make that? <laughs> you know, you come and you look at it the next day and go, wow, did I make that? Yeah. Because you you were able to get in the flow. Yeah. In, so, this, in your element. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So many good, important takeaways from, from this episode, Suzanne. And just want to say thank you for agreeing oh, to do with me and uh, for sharing, being so generous with um, with your stories and your tips and tricks. I, I specifically like the fact because a lot of people get frustrated with when they create mud and watercolor, but you pivoted it and then gave this you know, brilliant idea of what you can do about it. And it's yeah. it's not being focus on what went wrong, but sort of creating creative solutions and exploring and remaining, you know, yeah. curious of what the the possibilities are. What if? I love that question. What if? And also just enjoy the process because until it turned to mud, you were having a great time. Exactly. I mean, exactly. you were. Exactly. You were. You, yeah. you were big on the word play I love that because yeah people tend to get the fun out of doing something when they're so focused on the outcome and they want it yeah to be perfect but yeah and and not everything I do in the studio is a lot of fun of course it's not yeah. but but there's there's enough there that mm -hmm. it's worthwhile yeah there's enough fun there because I'm not going to I'm not going to do something that makes me suffer all the time. You know, you won't stick stick with it. So, yeah. So much, um, Susan, for being on Make More Art. I know that you have a lot um, going, uh, every, something in your pipeline. So where can we find you? Um, I know you have a website you mentioned earlier. So we can yes. include it in the description box, but is that Susan Hensel Projects or did I get yes. it? Susan that Hensel is Projects. correct. Yes. And I also run a gallery, Susan Hensel Gallery. Yes. And that actually is on, it, I have the website for that, but it's also on artsy.net. That's where I show the individuals. So it's an online gallery now. It used to be in person, but I reclaimed the space for my studio. <laughs> Oh, I wish I could visit um, someday. Oh, that, would, oh, that would be lovely. Yeah. Do you ever get to the States? I've been there twice, uh, but I've I've never been to, is it in Minneapolis? Your, your yes. gallery? I've never yeah. been to Minneapolis yet, but. It's, it's a beautiful city. Gotta put that yeah, on my... it's a beautiful city. So, yeah. um, I'm a big fan of Hallmark films and you got me when you mentioned state fairs. So, um, uh -huh. No, I, I think it's, I will have so much fun beyond that 10 day event of the state. <laughs> so much fun. Oh yeah. You should look it up. It's really amazing. Yeah, it's the fun. size. Yeah. It's a permanent fairgrounds with permanent buildings. Yeah. That's the size of a small city. Wow. And it's, and it's in 
the I believe it's in the city limits of Minneapolis. If it isn't, it's it's in the just outside. But yeah. yeah. I guess St. Paul actually. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, oh they're huge. I mean the buildings I think were built in the 30s and 40s, a lot of them. They have that kind of architecture that you kind of recognize, kind of an art deco look that was really yeah. popular then. Um, and, and of course, big barns for the cows and the horses and the pigs and uh, and a huge um, amphitheater mm -hmm. for the big performances and lots of little ones all over the grounds for the smaller performances. I can imagine. I can imagine. Oh, it really is astonishing. Yeah, I will definitely check that out. Susan, thank you so much uh, for being on the show. Um, look forward to seeing more of your work, especially Dependify. I'm sure you will going to advertise that on your website. Oh, I will. And we'll watch out for that. And I wish you would also make the wallpaper as well, because that, that background is really good. I will oh, that's a good idea. When you post it, I'll yeah. put it on the phone. All right. Well, Susan, thanks again for being on Make More Art. Oh, and we'll get it soon. Thank you. Yeah, this has been a, a real pleasure. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Susan. You take care of yourself. Okay. Bye. You Thank too. You. Okay. Bye bye. Susan Hensel makes art for all the right reasons. She wants to affect how people experience their daily life. And it was such a profound awakening to hear an artist talk about art as a way for people to reflect, meditate, and to find rest. Talking to Susan gave me a whole perspective on why we should continue to create and make more art. So if you're listening and watching this episode, this is your sign to revisit the joy of making and to allow yourself to explore the wonderful word of creating. Because art isn't done until it is shown. So until then, let's make more art.